bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. You're listening to Spotlight, a show that takes place around big announcements, at conferences, in the hallways, and behind the scenes. It's about getting out and having meaningful conversations with real people in the community. It's Changelog in the Trenches, shining our spotlight. Welcome to our Spotlight series titled The Future of Node, recorded at Node Interactive 2016 in Austin, Texas. We produce this in partnership with the Linux Foundation, the Node.js Foundation, and it's sponsored by IBM and Strongloop. Check out IBM API Connect, a comprehensive solution to manage your entire API lifecycle from creation to management at developer.ibm.com slash API Connect. Also check out Loopback from Strongloop, a highly extensible open source Node.js framework that enables you to create dynamic end-to-end REST APIs with little to no coding at loopback.io. In this episode, I talk with Michael Rogers about some of the backstory of Node over the past few years. To get to where we are today, we talked about IOJS, the fork of Node, what's happened in the community and the code since that time frame, how the Node Foundation has helped to solidify the foundation on which the Node ecosystem is being built on, initiatives and focuses in the near future, and more. Take a listen. Where to begin, man? So I think the, <laughs> the last time we had a deep conversation like this, was in the IOJS slash node uh, fork time frame. We had you on the changelog talking about the rise of IOJS. And that was a good thing at the time because it really helped uh, allow the community, I guess, to, to have some power it didn't think it had mm-hmm. and to take it back in a way to say, we, we, we desire a different future for node and it's important to us. So we're going to do what mm-hmm. we need to do to make that happen. Yeah, I think also, you know, we we were able to uh, adopt some governance practices that, that were relatively new. I mean, they were based on some ideas that we we had tried out in the ecosystem, like liberal contribution agreements and stuff like that. But no project of that size had ever done it. And so the argument that, you know, you should adopt this brand new governance model um, to, to join, you know, when we're trying to negotiate, you know, any kind of governance model um, was a really big sell. And I think IO, having some time with IOJS to prove it out, to grow the com- contributor base to see how it really pans out. Um, that was a really important kind of proving ground for that model. Um, and then, you know, after Joint uh, started the Node Foundation with, with, with the, the Linux Foundation. Um, That's about nine months after? No, wait. Uh, no, no. I mean, so they announced it about a month after we, we announced uh, IOJS. What year was this? 2015, um, right? Not, not yeah, this year. Yeah, 2015. Um, so I think like late, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, I think, uh, 2014, right, yes. okay. 2014 okay. was uh, when they announced that, when we announced IOJS. Um, and then in January of 2015, um, there was a Node Summit conference and they announced that they were forming the foundation then. But to really, I mean, t- foundations take a long time to really get off the ground and get the Ball rolling, announcing so they, it and launching yeah. it is two different things. Yeah, yeah. So they, they they announced you know intent to form. They had some initial members signed up, but you know they needed more members. Um, those members in turn wanted to kind of put the fork to bed and, and bring a merger in. So I negotiated with the with the foundation um, and and the IOJS community to kind of bring everything in and merge the projects back together. Um, and part of that was taking mostly the governance model pretty much wholesale. Um, but it's important to remember that you know the governance policies and practices are mutable, and they're mutable for a reason because as we scale, we need to change things. Um, and so e- even just you know 
merging into Node required us to immediately iterate on a lot of those policies. Um, you know, in IOJS, we really didn't have to worry about, you know, a lot of backwards compatibility or, you know, breaking changes and things like that. Like, because it's a new project, not everybody's already depending on it. You can, you can do a lot more. Um, right. And so when we... When we, when we moved and started to merge in, a big part of that was um, adopting this new release plan where, you know, we would kind of balance a lot of the uh, enterprise needs and a lot of the, not, you know, don't break things <laughs> needs uh, with, with, you know, this really diverse, broad community that wants to see change and new things happening. So we... We kind of get the best of both worlds, you know. We have a really liberal policy about getting stuff into master and and making some changes, and then we have, you know, a really um, good cycle and a long kind of longer review process to get things into the LTS releases that enterprises depend on. So this uh, this fork from back in the day, Thanksgiving 2014. It's been a while since then. So we just mm -hmm. passed Thanksgiving 2016. It's been basically two years. Yeah. yeah. Give us the overview of of what's happened in the last two years in terms of not just you know the I/O to Node and then also Foundation, but but to the community. How has the momentum changed to the technology, the community going building up around it, mm -hmm. and even including others that, that aren't just developers that are, yep. you know, we talk about that on request for commits quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this, uh, this uh, community that's beyond just a developer that yeah. is completely required and completely needed and doesn't yeah. always feel invited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that was some work that we we kind of started in the IOJS days. I think that, you know, we had this evangelism working group. We had a website working group. Um, and when we when we merged in, um, a lot of that stuff came with us. And, and a lot of those ideas came with us, um, especially around, you know, if you value different types of contributions, those kinds of people will show up and do stuff. Um, I, I think that the main thing that's happened, you know, between then and now is that it went from sort of a proof of concept to a, a our actual sustainability strategy. Like the reason that the project is able to stay up and get more stable over time is because of these policies. Um, we're not we're not testing them out. This is a proving ground anymore. Um, you know, what, the the person who runs the CTC meetings now, the meetings that are kind of about making you know uh, top level core decisions, um, he primarily works on tests. You know, something that we hardly ever got contributions in before, and just starting to value it, having this, you know, the same kind of technical achievement ladder for other kinds of contributions, you know, he showed up and saw that people really valued it and really took off in the test. And Who's we, this we, person? Uh, Rich Trot. Okay. Rich Trot. Um, and also, I mean, we, we've seen... We've seen a huge growth in in overall contributors, but but also when you look at you know the top five contributors, right? Um, they're not the same people as they were you know two years ago, which is great. So we're not yeah depending yeah. upon the same people, we're not burning them out. Exactly. I mean, one of them is the same. I think <laughs> a couple a couple of them are, are the same, but um, also the the overall share of the code base that they've that is that is a lot of those top five contributors has gone down. So it's now I think below fifty percent. Um, so you know we're we're getting much broader. How do you measure this stuff? I mean, GitHub is actually really good for measuring this stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, the fact that we do everything on GitHub means that we can get a lot of these kinds of metrics out. You know, the but ones is that... Is it pretty... I'm just trying to think about the GitHub interface. Mm -hmm. Is it pretty easy to see who has... I mean, you can see easily who's contributing and who, you know, how many commits they've had, but does it say, say percentages and stuff like that? So and how do you... Yeah, GitHub has very good data uh, when you're looking at kind of recent activity and when you're looking at kind of top-line activity. Um, 
and you really need to dig into the API to get at some of these metrics. Um, in, in particular, one of the one of the things that we really like to look at is um, which contributors that are brand new contributors have contributed each month. So how how many uh, pull requests have we gotten from people that have never sent one before? Right. We we keep track of that, and that requires some API work. Um, we we also you know we onboard a lot of new committers all the time, so we need to be looking at you know what are the you know last month or three months of contributions from people that don't have a commit bit yet. Like what what does that look like, and who is that list, so that we can you know prioritize who to onboard. You know we're approaching a hundred committers in core now. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, a that's lot. a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know that, how does that contrast com- to other? Platform similar to Node. Do you have you done any comparisons to other like yeah, not really like, no other language like Swift or anything else that might uh, or other plat like even Rails I suppose or Phoenix on Elixir since we're fans of Phoenix Elixir. Well, I, I think that a lot of these platforms are just in very different situations, right? A lot of them still have BDFLs. A lot of them um, are either entirely propped up by one company or have kind of three companies keeping them afloat. Um, you know, we're really trying to measure ourselves against our own ecosystem in a way. Like, we're we're never going to have as many contributors as the Node ecosystem right. <laughs> working on core. Um, and we're trying to take some of the more, some of the practices that we see working in our own community and kind of adapt them. Um, so we keep kind of, you know, resetting the goalposts. Um, and we also look at, you know, are we doing better than we used to do? Are, are we slowing down in terms of onboarding new committers? Are we still bringing in new people? Um, we we try to measure against that more than we try to measure against other languages, just because there's there's so many differences between the communities. So uh, in a quick form, give me a recap on this last two years so we can answer that quick and, yep, and yep. move on to a deeper topic. Well, so, I mean, we've quadrupled in size in terms of our user community. So, I mean, there were, I think, like 1.2 million using it around the time that we, using Node, well, around the time that we uh, did the IOJS fork, and, and today it's uh, 5.7 million. So, I mean, it's 100% year-on-year growth. It's, it's you know, it, it's crazy. <laughs> is that Node or is that JavaScript or is it both? It's Node.js, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I know it's Node.js. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it, do you think that's because of JavaScript itself or is it the attraction to Node? Well, I mean, JavaScript itself, I mean, if you count the whole web, like, it's, it's hard it's like, to find yeah, comparisons. Like everybody, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, you know, you, you start to arrive at numbers that are far greater than the number of programmers right. out there. Um, but uh, we, we look at, you know, we... We've done a lot to broaden our view of what our community is, right? We don't think of Node as just the server-side thing. There's a lot of people doing great IoT stuff with it. There's an entire new genre of front-end frameworks like React that are built as Node.js toolchains. You know, those are our users. That is our user community. They're very important. Um, and you know, we have growth in all of these sectors, and, and we continue to see new sectors pop up, like desktop. You know, <laughs> like Electron comes around, and all right. of a sudden, desktop is a thing. Um, and so we, we try to keep ourselves open and keep our view of our users really open as well. Um, so yeah, that's just a lot of people using Node. It, it, it also means that you know in a given year, 50% of the people that are using Node are new to Node that year. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a lot of challenges in terms of continuing to keep things simple, keep things easy, keep a lot of educational materials out there. Um, you know, we, we really benefit from uh, Node being something of an outgrowth of the web community, and there's a lot of values around making keeping things simple, bringing in new people, um, teaching new people, teaching you know non quote unquote professional programmers how to do things. Right. A lot of those are the values of the web, and we've really taken those to heart. So quadruple growth mm-hmm. merged, obviously mm-hmm. uh, created a foundation, 
is this is the second iteration of Noto Interactive, or is it the third? Um, it was so, one, well, one in Europe. There was one in Austin. Is this yeah, the third one? Then? So we, we've done two this year. Okay. So it's really the second year of conferences. Okay. I think next year we'll scale back. Is again this to part one. of the? You know, obviously it's the Linux Foundation and the yep. JS Foundation. So this is an extension of all the efforts that came from the last time. We yeah. had you on the change log with the rise of IJS. Yep, yep, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is a Linux Foundation you know, conference. I mean, right. well, the, the Node Foundation pays for it, and we, we contract the Linux Foundation to run it, essentially. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the, this entire thing is new, for sure. It's a great conference. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Great location. A mm -hmm. uh, lot of uh, diversity efforts. Even, I like the, the stickers that were out there, the colored stickers, mm -hmm. the offering of childcare. I mean, yeah, it's a yeah. very inviting, inclusive mm -hmm. uh Respectful. I don't know. I don't know what, what yeah. better adjective to use. But. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I Node.js is is a, is a pretty nice community. It's definitely a more diverse community than than others, especially certain sectors. I mean, you right. look at like the Nodebots community, for instance, and it's it's really really great and diverse. Um, so so we benefit from a lot of community support for that kind of stuff. Uh, but also now we benefit from some institutional support. Like there are some you know Linux Foundation wide efforts where you know like I don't think that we would have been able to do the childcare component um, if the Linux Foundation hadn't already built up a service, you know, doing that, knowing how to run it, how, mm -hmm. to, how to get all that going. You know, if it was, you know, just the, the community conferences again, like that's a lot of additional infrastructure to take on that you haven't necessarily built up a competency for yet. Um, so that's been really great to see here as well. Um, and, and also I think, you know, I obviously, like I started NodeConf, I, I went to a lot of community conferences over the years. One get of the, the shirt on too, by the way. Yeah. yeah. My shirt. <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know, it. when you print them, they're, they're essentially free. So, <laughs> That's right. Um, you probably have the closet full of them, so you're like, which yep, one will I wear yeah. today? <laughs> exactly. The black um, one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but, but one thing that we get here that you don't see at community conferences are the kinds of node users that you, you don't see on Twitter, you don't see on GitHub, that are really you know behind a desk all day writing node. You know, they are our users, they are our community. Mm -hmm. We need to understand them in order to empathize with them and, and get what they need, but they're very hard to reach. You know, unless you get a hold of their company and sell them a block of 20, 30 tickets that they hand out to all their developers, they're just not going to be at the conference. Right. Um, so it's been great to get, you know, at, at this event, you know, a big mix of the foundation bringing a lot of the core group together, the core community, um, a lot of outreach from me and Tracy to get a lot of really big community people here, but also a lot of node users that, you know, we just don't get a lot of access to um, that we can hear from. That's been great. So Tracy, Tracy Hines, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tracy Hines. I like to say last name so that my it's not insider yeah. baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she's fantastic. And she's she wrote the recent post on, uh, I believe, the VM neutrality post on Medium. Am I correct mm, on that? Probably not. <laughs> I thought uh, she yeah, wrote It was probably Zibby. No, no, I think it was the... It was probably Zibby. Um, Zibby wrote that. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of the diversity effort. There was yeah. A, there was, yeah, yeah, that was Tracy. Yeah, I so, think that's, a, that's an interesting perspective, too. I mean, that's got to be a, a big change, a big shift from... Uh, the way things were for Node before mm -hmm. to fork IO, it wasn't just a wasn't just a code problem. It wasn't a release problem. It was also mm -hmm. a community problem, yeah. and that stems to inclusivity and diversity. Yeah, yeah. I think I think one of the big shifts too, though, and, and with the work that Tracy's doing. Um, we have an institution now and we can provide certain kinds of institutional support and get access to those kinds of resources that we couldn't before. Um, and so, you know, figuring out 
what the community needs on on the one hand, and then you know bringing to bear the the actual foundation resources is is more difficult than you would think because um, there are a lot of constraints in what you can do as a foundation. There are constraints in the budget and people and all that kind of stuff. And so um, having you know Tracy works for the foundation now. She's a community manager. Um, she's amazing. Um, having her come in and being able to you know, know what we can do as a foundation and then work with the community to figure out what we can do for them. It's been really great. We're not just, you know, kind of guessing anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The post I was referring to was titled working, t- working towards a safer, inclusive event. Talking about this event here in particular, talking mm-hmm. about the various things you've done. I, mm-hmm. like, again, I love those stickers that you, that you did. Yeah. That, and for mm-hmm. the listeners, I think there's a, a red, green, blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably one more color in there. <laughs> Yeah, four, four <laughs> colors. I'm not an idiot, uh, except for when I'm on the mic. And they all kind of label how open you are to meet strangers, I suppose. You know, like, yeah, I'm yeah. probably wording it poorly, but... Well, and also no, don't photograph. Right, photograph. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's sort of like giving people a soft way, an unspoken way of how to approach them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that you're just being respectful without even having to, like, say a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whose I mean, idea was that? I mean, in, well, in communities like this, you get a lot of people with, you know, they have social anxiety or, you know, especially, especially people that are going through a gender transition. Like, there there are certain things that, like, you just don't want to have to say to every fucking person that comes up to you. Yeah, like, right. Like, I mean, if you're just, like, if you're just not generally comfortable with that, like, please don't, you know, come up to me all the time if you don't know me and things like that. So that that's that's really good. Um, that's something that was definitely pioneered in the community. Um I think that some of the community conferences have done uh, different colored lanyards and stuff like that for, um, you know, don't photograph me and stuff like that. Um, Tracy, in general, has been a pioneer in in diversity and inclusivity work in community conferences. She's been involved in um, Empire Node and Empire JS and Cascadia JS. Um, So she's been doing this work for, you know, the past four or five years. Wow. Um, and now to have her on board at the foundation, she can, she can really inform, um, the Linux foundation that's running the event on all of these relatively small things that really matter. Right. right. Like it's, it's not it's expensive small to get stickers. Get the details. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, these, these stickers are not that difficult to get. Right. right? Um, you just need to kind of know about organize it. it. Yeah. And yeah. even think about it. It's, that's that detail that you don't think about unless it's top of mind to, mm-hmm. to care. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, unless you're the Linux Foundation without the resource, if you're just an individual person that says, I really care about a community and I want to produce a conference, uh, you don't have the years of experience that you mentioned Tracy has. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you haven't been able to bloody your knuckles, so to speak. And so sometimes you make mistakes. Yeah. And they're what? not intentional. It's just you've thought the details of this conference to do, yeah, do yeah. to that level to make people feel invited. Well, I did like honestly. I mean, the, <laughs> this is you have to remember how how recent a lot of these practices are. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, the first uh, Node Conf that I ran was in uh, 2010 uh, alongside JS Conf. So, so Chris Williams helped me out, and uh, we we ran them together. And that JS Conf was the first conference that I had ever seen that had a code of conduct. Um, and he he had to draft one from scratch, which is now the basis of the Conf code of conduct that everybody right. uses. But you know, that was you know, it's only 2016. <laughs> <laughs> that was 2010. Right. Um, so getting from there to, you know, actually having, you know, preferences about, you know, how to approach people is like, you know, a, a really long journey. Let's uh, let's talk about some some things that uh, that you've experienced here at the conference so far. You gave the keynote opening things up. We've got things like uh, VM neutrality happening. We've got a lot of interesting 
new announcements, so to speak? What's what's some of your favorites? Um, I, I mean, the VM neutrality one for me is really, really cool. Um, for a bunch of reasons. I mean, it's going to be great for users. Even if you never swap out the VM, it's going to be great for users. One, it's going to really increase uh, the competition between VM developers. Like, I've gotten to know a lot more VM developers over the last few years, and um, they, they are su surprisingly driven by uh, vanity benchmarks. <laughs> like, um, I mean, it, I, there's not a lot of people that can do VM development, right? Like, it's, it's a relatively small pool to do that kind of work, and, and they're in really high demand. So all these different places that hire these developers, um, you know, they... They're, I, I think, what was the, the term that Brandon used? Birds, birds in gilded cages or something, right? Like, they're, they're given a lot of freedom to do whatever they want. They're, you Within know, a box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, exactly. And so you really have to motivate the individuals, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just market needs and all this kind of business concerns. It really does come down to some of the individuals. And, um, you know, now that we're going to be able to have benchmarks that show particular Node.js workloads on different VMs, you're going to see better performance in every VM right. for Node.js workloads. I talked to <laughs> Yeah. To um, Aranesh and uh, Garuv, I believe is how to pronounce it. Garuv, yeah, yeah. Garuv, yeah. I messed it up two times when I talked to him too. So <laughs> uh, I'm it's it's my thing. People are used to it. Uh, I mess people's names up, and I have a long last name, so I can I can unapologetically mess people's names up. Oh, I, I, get I get called McKeel four times a day, so it's yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was talking to them about uh, Chakra Core and you know VM neutrality, and they're very excited about it. They're excited about you know open sourcing. Chakra Core and the fun stuff that's happening there and just the involvement basically to mm -hmm. to um, inside of Microsoft, you know, with Chakra Core, it's, it was kind of funny the way that they described the story. It was like asking them about Chakra and then Chakra Core and how they went about open sourcing it or even making Chakra Core. And they were like, well, we were really motivated internally first. Then we realized that we were already trying to, you know, to extract core mm -hmm. Uh, to use it on, on our own, to use it uh, on Azure and elsewhere. And so why not just open source it? Mm -hmm. uh, so rewinding back a little bit, you said other VM uh, developers. Give us an idea of what VM developers are out there, like what other VMs are oh, out I there mean, that, so, so, I mean, that matter. V, V8, I mean, so there's a whole team at Google right. doing V8 stuff. Um, there's actually, now there's a couple. Um Inside of Google, you know, Chrome uses V8, so there's right. a whole team inside of the Chrome org that does it. But there's also now a few people in the GCP, the Google Cloud Platform, that work on V8 specifically for Node for the cloud. Um, so you're starting to see a lot more of our concerns make it into into core. Um, and and this VM neutrality is actually you know part of that, like breaking. Um, on every major release, for them is really frustrating because it means that if they want something in for GCP, they've got to get it into V8. They've got to wait like three to six months for it to land in Node, and then they've got to wait you know another six months for it to get into an LTS release. Wow, and that's yeah. if they time it right. Right. So if they were, if we were able to take new V8 releases inside of a major, they could cut that down to three to six weeks. Um, and so now they're, they're really feeling that. Um, whereas you know before the V8 team that's on Chrome binds it to Chrome, like they can break the AP, the, the native API whenever they want, and they just have to fix the binding layer in Chrome right. to make it work again. Um, so it's great to see sort of like you know everybody has the same problem, so we're all working together to to solve it. Um, so that that's that's another great thing that comes like just for all of our users. You know, you're going to be able to get new you know versions of the of the VM inside of major releases. You're going to be able to 
upgrade to major releases without breaking all of your native add-ons, which happens now. Um, th these are all amazing, awesome things for our users, um, even if they never swap out a VM, right? Um, even if they just so this wasn't possible before a day ago, or what, what's what actually what, what actual effort is behind making this possible? Oh man, there's a lot. So. Um, so there, there's an effort to uh, create a stable API inside of Node that we... Nappy. Yeah, yeah. That, that Is that we, right? Nappy? Uh, Node API? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that basically, you know, that's what Node binds to. And if you have a VM, you can expose that API and and we will bind to it, right? Right. Um, so that allows, you know, native add-on developers to just bind to that API and now work with every VM um, and new versions of VMs, right, without having to go through, like, a whole recompile because the ABI changed or whatever. Um, and I think that, you know, and this is something that I don't think would have been possible without the Node Foundation, is that we got all of these different stakeholders to the table and committed to supporting that, API long term. Like if we still had a relationship with V8 where they were working on a VM and threw it over a wall and then we bound to it, we would never be able to do something like a neutral API because that how do how can we There's guarantee no conversation. how can we guarantee that they're going to support it long term? Even right. if we're writing the binding layer, like how do we know that the, there aren't going to be low level changes in V8 that are just completely incompatible with this, right? Um, so you know being being able to bring all these different people to the table to come up with this with this API that they can that we can all commit to supporting long term has been really, really valuable. So this is a this is all building upon the governance model that wasn't there mm -hmm. the last time we talked uh, on the change log back to that episode, mm -hmm. the rise of IOJS. I mean, I see a lot of interesting effort happening here that is just unquantifiable. I mean, you can't <laughs> you can rewind it and play it back a little bit, but there's just so much that has compounded. Like you mentioned. Uh, the Node.js Foundation, without that, not being able to bring people together. Mm -hmm. Like, at that day and no, when it was stewarded, is, I think it's the word being used mm -hmm. by Joint, right? They were, why were they the steward? Remind me about that. Why were they kind of, it, was it because of... Um, well, historical purpose. I mean, so, so Ryan Dahl uh, built Node.js right. like, in, his, in his own time. And, and was employed he, by them. No, no, he wasn't employed by them yet. So he built well, yeah, it. Yeah, that's he, what I mean. he, yeah, he built it. He built he, it and then was employed by them. He debuted at uh, JSConfiU, right. and then they they hired him, and they they also acquired that the assets like the trademark, right? Um, and so you know he was he was working there for a while. Also, I mean, during this time when Join is stewarding it, they are also putting in a lot of effort into marketing it, particularly right. uh, to cloud use cases and to enterprises, right? Um, and and it's very new at the time, so having that kind of support is really invaluable when you're when you're on the beginning of your growth curve. Having that right. extra institutional support is really valuable. Let's pause it um, for a second. So mm -hmm. at that point, in terms of governance models, it was it's a, BDFL. a BDFL, right? Yeah, 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 and yeah. so it's transitioned from that, which is now sort of frowned upon, from what I understand. Like, I mean, <laughs> you have opinions. Let's let's share those as much as you'd like, but the well, BDFL I mean, model has its pros and cons. I think at the time there wasn't a lot of negativity about the BDF model yet, right? The BDFL model yet. I think that the, you know by the time that we did the fork, there was, but um, at the time there really wasn't. And right. then, um, well, it needed more governance. This is the point I'm trying to drive home here: is that it needed. I well, I, I would argue. I would argue that the entire time that Ryan ran it, it really didn't. And then. By the time that Isaac took it over, you could see it growing beyond uh, what 
what Joyant was really focused on, right? I mean, they're, they're a company, they're a business, they need to focus. Right. Um, they're focused on cloud services. By the time that Isaac took it over, it was, it was starting to become evident that front-end was really growing, IoT was growing. There, there were a lot of other things that were happening. Um, and also that the, the community was just expanding at a much greater rate than any single company can invest in the project. I mean, when you're growing 100% a year, like you, mm-hmm. you can't double the engineering on that project right. every year. Like that's... It's just not doable. I right. mean, I, I think, you know, when you look at something like the Go project in, inside of Google, they probably have added about a resource to that project as it's grown in terms right. of usage, right? They did a lot of people work on it. Too, speaking of Go, between yeah, the yeah. community and... Yeah, yeah, and, and still they have that problem, yeah. right? Um, but but they're they're definitely putting a ton of resources in it into it. I, I don't think that any company could have um, you know du- doubled every year their investment in, in Node.js at the time. Um, and so uh, you know eventually uh, Isaac also left the project and handed it over to another person at Joint. And this was around the time that one we 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 can see how the the community really wants to be involved in the project and really can't under the current governance model. They can't really own it. There's a lot of sort of older development practices that that, that we're not enabled to change. And we're seeing in our own community a lot of amazing new governance models, you know, driving things. I mean, I, I, Rod blew out his voice, so he couldn't join us today. Um, But, you know, Rod Vegg, who's now elected to the TSC chair, he didn't write any core code before IOJS, right? And, but he had the chops to do it. It wasn't a technical barrier. I mean, he, he wrote, you know, NAN, which is the native binding layer that everybody uses. It's all C++ code. It's really deep in the guts of, of Node and into V8. He wrote that. Like, he, he right. definitely had the chops to work on it. But, you know, he didn't feel enough ownership or agency over it. And, and notice, and Rod had pioneered a lot <coughs> of governance models around liberal contribution agreements in the, the level down community and even around NAN. So it just didn't get involved. And when IOJS happened and it had this open governance, he immediately got involved. And now he's, you know, elected to be the leader right. of the project. Like these are the, the people that we just weren't able to attract or retain under, you know, the kind of closed governance model that we had before. Right. And and now we we can. You know, we, we went from five to, you know, we're closing in on hundred committers now. So we got to this subject here because we're talking about VM neutrality mm-hmm. and how that wouldn't have been possible had it not been for the Node Foundation mm-hmm. being able to bring together the right kind of mm-hmm. team, the right kind of VM uh, developers to, to care enough, yep. bring the right kind of people to the, to the table and say, let's support, uh, I think it's called Nappy. That's at least what uh, Arnish yeah, yeah. said from Microsoft, that, that it's called Nappy, Node mm-hmm. API. We'll link that up in the show notes again. We have it in the other episode, but okay. um, but just having this stable API you can bind to mm-hmm. and supporting that. So it's part of this uh, this long-term vision of, a better no community, better governance of, of yeah. the no community. Mm-hmm. What uh, what else has got you excited? So VM neutrality is a big deal, but uh, what else? How does that how does that play out into other things? Um, like you'd mentioned IoT, you'd mentioned Node in other places that well, isn't it, just the web. The, or well, VM neutrality also really helps us with IoT as well because there are so so that there's there's work that isn't public that that various people are doing on uh, more JavaScript VMs, essentially, and, and even JavaScript VMs that are just entirely you know, on device and stuff like that. Um, and without a stable native layer for them to, to expose and, and for everybody to bind to, um, it's, a, it's a really tough sell for them to just you know, integrate that in core or you know, emulate the entire V8 C++ API. So um, there, there's a bunch of stuff there that, uh, unfortunately, I can't really get, get into the details of that is going to be great for IoT. 
I also think that, you know, if you're currently a NodeBots or IoT developer, one of the biggest headaches that you have is that you, you're dependent on native uh, APIs. Like, you're dependent on uh, Serial Port by Chris Williams, actually, from, from Um But th that's sort of like the base underlying labor, library that everybody has to bind to, and every major release of Node, it breaks. And then everybody lags behind, and there's this huge, I mean, the, the testing matrix for Node Serial is crazy. I mean, it's, you know, it's worse than Node Core because it's every random IoT device. Um, so it takes a long time for that to get updated. So, so that'll get fixed, which is great. Um, but in terms of other things that uh, I'm starting to get excited about, um, oh, wow, let me, let me back up a little bit and, and try to take my, my head out of uh, just thinking about really specific stuff. Oh, um, I'm excited about the security work that we're doing. Like, um, security has become more and more top of mind. Uh, I think in in end developers and enterprises and kind of everywhere. I think that security is something that everybody has always said is important, but it's always like the last thing that people think about. Um, and and that is really changing. I think that we're starting to view our applications not as you know these things that we throw up and hope that people don't try to break into. Uh, to now when we put services live, you know we're we're entering a hostile environment. We need right. to really think about this. Have any examples? Um, examples of, uh, of of things that have happened recently that have change of uh, focus on security. So, so the the giant outage that we had a couple months ago, that was basically driven by you know a botnet of compromised IoT devices. That was a big one, right? Because um, Bruce Schneider has a, has a great quote about this, but he's like, you know, big vendors uh, have done a pretty good job of security for a long time now, right? And so when you're relying on that kind of infrastructural software and and big vendors kind of dominated most of the software that, that was out there that could be compromised, you were in a much better situation than you are in the current IoT landscape. Because while there are a couple big vendors putting out like chips and stuff like that, the products are all coming out from small companies that add a ton of code to the device that is just not secure. And so um, th these devices are incredibly weak in terms of security, get compromised really, really quickly. And now people are turning them into botnets that take over, you know, that basically take down the internet. Um, that's really problematic. <laughs> and so we need to start thinking about security, you know, at every layer, you know, it's not just an operating system problem. It's not just a packaging system problem. It's not just a developer problem. It's everybody's problem. Um, so, you know, we've seen a ton of announcements, uh, you know, the new node source, uh, work that they've done is mostly on, around security. I think like, you know, three of the five features that they released in their, their 2.0 release this week, uh, it, all security focused. Um, We've worked with the uh, the Node Security Project, which was led by uh, Lyft Security, a small consultancy, but they were doing a lot of ecosystem security work, and um, they'd done a really good job. We've been talking with them for a while. We have a really sophisticated, really good uh, disclosure and security policy for Node Core, but we really want to take responsibility for the Node ecosystem in terms of security. So um, Lyft is bringing that Node Security Project into the Node Foundation. We're creating a new group, uh, a new kind of working group to vet these security vulnerabilities and go through the responsible disclosure. And we'll have a lot of the same practices that we have around core there as well. Um, but just taking more responsibility for the node ecosystem, which is what everybody relies on, it's not just on core, um, is really important for us uh, through the lens of security. I think we tend to try to not involve ourselves in the ecosystem when it means picking a winner. We really want a diverse ecosystem. We want different 
implementations to flourish and to compete with each other and, and to have some kind of market decides like who wins. So the foundation tries to stay out of the ecosystem from that point of view, but we really do want to support the entire ecosystem, support the growth of the entire ecosystem, the stability and security of the entire ecosystem. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about uh, bringing in the, the node security project into the foundation. So you got VM neutrality, security, what else? I think we're also going to save the world. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, do you think Node will continue to grow at 100% yeah. rate we, each year? We, we don't have any signs yet of it slowing down. In, in fact, it's gotten a little bit quicker. Um, but we're we're cautious about you know making statements that it's growing right. quicker than it was. because um, Is it healthy growth? And how do you measure that? I think that we, we can measure the health of the, the projects and repositories that are inside of the Node Foundation. Those are very healthy, and the growth there is really healthy. I think it's very hard to measure, you know, if growth is healthy or not in in the ecosystem. I mean, how do you define the quality of a package that went up, right? Um, right. How do you, and and is it really that big a problem with a bunch of low quality packages that nobody depends on? Like, I mean, you know, that's like the the tree in the forest that nobody hears. Right. right. Um, so not too worried about that kind of stuff. Um, but there. One of the reasons that we we hired Tracy this year um, is that focus of the Node Foundation needs to be on education because when when half of your users every year are new because you're doubling in size every year, you really need to worry about what the onboarding and education looks like for the platform. So we we've now entered a, a point in enterprise adoption where. You know, it's not a new team that gets spun up. I mean, this still happens, but there's a team that gets spun up. They they adopt Node.js. They they you know have a lot of success. They're on microservices. They're doing all of this kind of new technology stuff. They're they're trying to drive digital transformation inside of an organization. We're now getting to the point where, at a very high level, like the CIO, CTO level, they they decide to make a strategic decision to invest in Node, which means hiring sometimes hundreds of Node developers or retraining hundreds of Node developers. And that means people that used to write Java and .NET. And when those kinds of developers come to Node and look for educational resources, the kinds of resources that they're used to, that they use to learn the last platform, sometimes aren't there. We, we, we have an amazing amount of... So is this documentation? Is this video tutorials? Well, we, we, is this we, we have all that. I mean, we have, docu stuff, we have documentation. We independence. Have, yeah, we, we, we couldn't have more of an ecosystem right. around that kind of education, uh, and which is why we, we continue to grow so quickly. Right. But like formal certification programs, right? Formal training programs. So is this a Node Foundation thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the Node Foundation is, is working now with... The Linux Foundation administers the Linux Certified Admin Program and, and a, quite a few other programs. Um, for certification, and we're working with them to build out a Node.js baseline Node.js certification program, so that when when developers who you know reach for a certification when they want to prove that they learned something new inside of their organization, they actually have that tool available. Right. Um, and and I mean, that's not all that we're doing in terms of education. You know, we also. When you look at Node School, which is an amazing community that, that I was really involved in when we were kind of starting it out, um, it's it's grown into you know hundreds of local you know basically trainings that are right. run by community of volunteers. All of the materials are being created online and available to everybody. It's it's amazing, but it's now it, it's having the same kinds of scale problems that you know we had in Node.js that we've had in every project that gets so big with that kind of community and doesn't have any structure around it. 
So we're starting to dedicate, you know, some of my time, some of Tracy's time to, to work with uh, the Node School community and some of these other educational communities that have just grown so big that they're, they're becoming kind of unwieldy um, and are, are having some scaling problems that we can work with them to resolve and may even need some institutional support from us. And so we, we can actually provide yeah. that. Let's talk about sustainability to a degree. Uh, one question I have is... We have a whole podcast about that. <laughs> I, I know we do. And Request for commits plug, yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> RFC.FM. If you don't listen, it's a shame. Uh, the, the latest episode, by the way, phenomenal. Right? Yeah. Like, gosh, man, that was such a good show. Yeah. Um, but on sustainability, one thing I was thinking about is for those developers, actually, I had a conversation with, uh, just before you sat down, with Ethan. Uh, uh, Rains, and he was talking about how math is broken in V8. And he was mm-hmm. talking about how he was bringing uh, this library called Standard Lib and data science type stuff mm-hmm. to JavaScript, which is mm-hmm. he basically said in his own terms that if you went into a job interview for data science and you told him you do it in JavaScript, they'd look at you and ask ask you why when you're not using like Julia or R or Python or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. For people like him that are right now, he is living on his own savings. Mm-hmm. Uh, focus on this open source project. Uh, for those out there who have ideas, what kind of support can they look for from Node Foundation? Is that important? Is that something you ever plan to do? Not so much to sustain, but to help the community find a sustainable way to bring new research projects like that, mm-hmm. experimental projects that are like pushing the boundaries, innovating. Right, right. So I, I've spent a surprising amount of time looking at this space um, because it's one of the few areas that we, we haven't seen a huge amount of growth in. Haven't so, seen what the the kind like a huge amount of growth in like the kind okay. of growth that we see other places. Um, so I've I spent a lot of time actually figuring out like what we could do here and what our our current barriers are. Um, one barrier, which which I think it, it is a problem and it needs to get resolved, but it's not the number one problem. Um, but but it is a problem, which is the JavaScript standards have not given us some of the tools that we need at the language level to do some of this. Um, <laughs> this is kind of hilarious. Now that Brendan has a company that's doing crypto in the browser, um, he is shifting some of his focus because he does a bunch of standards work as well. Um, and there there are some new kind of 64-bit and stuff and some new math stuff coming out that, that Brendan is pushing forward in TC39. Also, the Node Foundation in partnership with the JS Foundation. The JS Foundation is a uh, member of, of TC39, the yeah. JavaScript standards body. Um, they've started to send me to those meetings. There's one right now that obviously I couldn't be at, but um, I went to the one, the, the last one that they did and resolved a lot of the module stuff. So a lot of the, the concerns that we've had about how do we integrate these module systems, we were able to work that out. Um, and I'll continue to go um, to start to, to try to resolve some of those problems. Uh, an, another thing we have to think of is should we try to reach a system like R and Python have, or should we try to go about this in in the way that has brought us a lot of six other successes, right? So if you look at the early days of Node, we weren't able to bind to a lot of low-level C libraries, and because we weren't able to do that, we ended up building a lot of our own competencies in those areas and building out like things that would have been a native layer, like just you know binding to C for something like Redis, where we got a native Node.js Redis client that's actually you know in a lot of workloads faster than the C library. So there's a lot of value there. Uh, Mikhail Lashenko, who, who's here, um, he was a math PhD and got really involved in the Node.js community and started building um, 
different algorithms as just, you know, one module, single module. So you have this modular way of looking at things, which is not the way that we've, we've done math and, and science computing before. There are these giant libraries in C or Fortran a lot of the time um, that are huge and really unwieldy. And, you know, a lot of it is entirely unmaintained, but it's like the only place to get this particular algorithm. So do we want to enable, you know, a broader ecosystem of people building that kind of stuff out? I, I think we, we currently have the most compelling ecosystem for 3D computing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, all built for, for WebGL, obviously. But uh, McCullough has a, has a project called Regal, R-E-G-L, uh, which is just a phenomenal uh, suite of tools and toolchain for doing, you know, modularized 3D programming. And he's, he's written a ton of different modules for all this stuff. A lot of it's built on a data structure called NDArray which is an n-dimensional array which is incredibly fast has gone through four years of optimizations now there's a minecraft in the browser called voxel.js that you can look at that's built on a lot of this stuff it's actually built on earlier iterations of this stuff so there's a lot of good movement there um I, I don't think that we're going to figure out a way to have a better Fortran binding layer or, you know, cross-compile these Fortran libraries. Um, R is is mostly Fortran code. Like, you know, there, it, it's, a, it's a layer of bindings on top of a lot of very old Fortran uh, code that SciPy also binds to and other libraries bind to. Um, and we're just, we're not going to get to a point where I, I think that that is compelling. I think that we're, we're, we're going to have a slower road to it, but we're eventually going to get to a better place where we have a more modular ecosystem of uh, independent algorithms that can be plugged together really easily. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for the future of what this looks like, but it is going to be a long road. Um, but, but I think lastly, SciPy and R as well, but SciPy I, I really, really look at. Um, they did a ton of outreach and community building with the academic community um, to, to get them onto SciPy. Um, and, and over the years, I've met a few of the people that have really pioneered that that work. Um, and, and I mean, it's 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 hard community work. You're working with a lot of older institutions. You've got to have a real passion for it. Um, but I would love to see us, you know, as an institution, re- take on some of that. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that me and Tracy want to try to get to at some point, like building much deeper inroads with the academic community um, and building that up. Because it, w- Python is not uniquely good at scientific computing. Like, I mean, not a knock against Python. It's just not better than any other particular language for that. Um, they don't have great bindings to all these old Fortran libraries. Like, it's relatively slow. Um, they've just built a great community and a great support system for it. Um, they, they've done a phenomenal job. Um, you know, they have great documentation. They have a lot of people that have written great blog posts about it. There's right. a ton of knowledge about it. And and there are just people out there doing the hard work, you know, get, getting adoption. Um, um, so I, I think that's the thing that we that we can strive for and that we can actually make an impact with at an institutional level in the Node Foundation. How does that actually play out, though, at an institutional level? How do you play out that support? Is it mm-hmm. is it uh, uh, similar to uh, the Apache Foundation where they kind of adopt projects and they sort of incubate them to a degree and then take them on full term once they mature to a degree? Is that some sort of plan? And how do you nurture those developers who are living on their own savings or making sacrifices. Mm-hmm. I know that's open source at large, so you're mm-hmm. preaching to the choir when it comes to like, <laughs> you know, the the sacrifice we all make to, to move it forward. But uh, I, I, I'm I just curious what, you, what uh, general thoughts are for our future outlook on that. So I don't think that we have a lot to offer at the project level, mainly because there are actually a couple nonprofits now um, that have spun up to 
helped back a lot of this this work. I mean, there's actually SciPy's in one of them. Um, and those institutions are set up to, to take in grant funding as well, because a lot of the way that those libraries get funded is through grant funding. Um, and we, we're just not an institution that's set up to do grant funding. I mean, we, we could, but it would be like building an entire other competency, right? right? But what we can do is we, we, we can reach out as the official right. you know, place for the right stuff. Direction. We, we, we Give can, some assistance. We can connect people to communities that are, that are of value, right? Um, so if someone's listening to this, that's like... Th that's Athen. at a university. Yeah, right. if you're at a university, if you're in an academic community, like definitely reach out to me, uh, to me and Tracy. I'm M I K E A L on Twitter, um, <laughs> and uh, we, also the the foundation bylaws. And I think almost all of the Linux Foundation uh, foundations that have been set up under the LF um, have an allotment for um, a membership tier that can be for nonprofits and for academic institutions. So we actually have the ability to bring in, you know, universities and, and institutions like that. Bring them into a community where, where not only are we connecting them with the people in the community that are doing good education work so they can access to materials and stuff like that, but we also connect them with each other and, and they can learn from each other. So, you know, I, I think a big part of this is that you, ha you have really passionate people at different academic institutions that love Node.js, that love the web, that push for these technologies. Um, what we don't have really is a venue for them to talk with each other about what's working, what's not. Right. Um, and I think that they probably have more to learn from, from each other than we can teach them. So um, I, I, re I really want us to, to, to work on some of that as well. So we're two years past the, uh, the biggest shift, I think, in the Node community, which was the fork of I.O., merger back into Node, uh, Node Foundation, several iterations of this conference, you know, year-over-year -year growth at 100% rate. So a growing community, you've, you've touched on educational pieces, you've touched on ways you can support uh, module developers or people like Athen that, uh, that are experimental, so to speak. Um, we talked about diversity. What else can we talk about? That's a lot of the hot points, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> do we, do we it's have all a... the highlights. I think it's and it's pretty it's pretty close. But just in case there was something that was we couldn't leave this conversation without you you talking about. Um, I I think that one thing if we're looking at the future of Node, and I mean, if Rod were here, he could talk a lot more to the technical side of things. But I'm I'm definitely more focused on the the institutional level work um, that we've been doing. Um, but we we've done a lot to re-message and, and promote Node. Um, and by that, I mean a lot of this stuff about the new full stack, a lot of the kind of broadness of Node, and, and a lot of the strength of Node being in um, how you can have this unified tool set across these different uh, platforms and areas. We've really built that out since the foundation started. Um, because we've taken this broader message and we've, we've really focused on the connections, we haven't been as aggressive in framing how good Node.js is at a few particular things, right? Um, I mean, serverless is obviously a huge growth area for us. If we, if we did nothing, it would probably still grow immensely. Um, but, you know, I'm incredibly bullish on how good Node.js Node is for serverless. I mean... We're, we're, we keep getting even better at, you know, uh, resource utilization in terms of memory and CPU. So you can do, you know, more IO in, in less resources, um, in Node.js than really any other platform. Our startup time is, is, continues to be a source of pride for us, something that we continue to work on and try to whittle down. These are really important in serverless environments. Um, so I think that, you know, in, in the future, you're going to see us uh, talk about these verticals a little bit more and, and be a little bit more assertive about, you know, how good we think that we are in those particular cases. Well, Michael, that's all I've got, man. Yeah, great. 
been great. The future of Noda's bright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Glad to have you in the position you're in. I know it's been a long journey getting here. Yeah. But uh, fun times ahead. Great community. And you're doing great work. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks again to our friends at the Linux Foundation and the Node Foundation for working with us on this project, as well as our friends at IBM and Strongloop for sponsoring this podcast series. It was a blast being there. We'll be there again next year, so look out for us in 2017 at Node Interactive. If you want to hear more JavaScript-focused podcasts from Changelog, check out JS Party, our new live weekly show with Michael Rogers, Alex Sexton, and Rachel White. Head to changelaw.com slash jsparty, click subscribe, don't miss the show, and thanks for listening.